Father, we praise you and we thank you for your amazing grace through which you have reconciled us to yourself. We thank you that before you created the world, you had the plan of salvation, and that by your grace and undeserved favor, we can know you. This morning, we turn our hearts and our ears to you and ask that you would help us to be still, to listen to your voice, and we ask that you would give us courage and faith to obey you so that you are glorified in our lives. And all God's people said, amen. Well, welcome to worship this morning. Very glad you are here. Um, before we continue with our service, please take a moment to greet each other. Well, welcome again. We have several announcements that we'd like you to all be aware of this morning. Um, men, our Bible study in the book of Thessalonians will be starting this morning. Um, if you're interested in joining, we'll be meeting in the Soul Garage Cafe over there. Uh, we're trying to make this an interactive and participatory study, so I encourage you to come on out. Uh, we are also excited for our upcoming uh, canoe trip for the men's ministry. It will be Saturday, July 10th. We'll be um, paddling a stretch on the Red Cedar River and having a grill out. And just a clarification, um, the grill out is, is actually not afterwards. It's going to be during um, that time, so during, over lunchtime. Um, so you can expect to be done um, by 3. Um, there's a sign-up um, at the welcome desk. Please sign up if you're interested in this um, and indicate if you are able to help with rides or food and if you have any equipment. And also that same day, uh, Saturday, July 10th, there's going to be um, a barbecue for all of the youth and their families um, at John and Carrie Peterson's farm. Um, there's some more information on the um, Soul Garage website, and you can RSVP there as well. So that's for youth and all of their families. You're invited to that. And then parents, um, we want you to be aware that there won't be any Sunday school next week um, because of the July 4th holiday. And then lastly, um, each, um, if you've been with us throughout this year, you know that um, each month we have been highlighting one of the steps in our faith path. Uh, the faith path is one of the uh, primary um, disciple-making tools that we have in our, our faith at home, um, disciple-making strategy. And um, this month we have um, the Bible kit available. Um, these are back in the lobby on the table by the Resource Center. Uh, Pastor Cody and Pastor Aaron um, put these together, and they're, they're pretty neat. Um, they are um, just guides to help you uh, get together or get into the Bible as a family, and there's um, a bunch of fun and creative activities in there. So families, um, please pick these up on your way out. And that is a perfect segue into our celebration this morning of uh, Vacation Bible School. Many of you were involved in that. I had the, the joy and privilege of, of serving, and uh, Pastor Aaron and his dedicated team did a fantastic job. So, Awesome. Thank you, Eric. Uh, first off, um, if you volunteered this week for Vacation Bible School, would you please stand uh, so we can honor you? Please give them a round of applause. They did a great job. 
um, this week. Uh, thank you guys very much. You guys can go ahead and have a seat. We had, um, we had 45 different volunteers, um, which was amazing, and it made my job very easy. I was able to uh, give jobs and not have to do much follow-up after that because um, of our great volunteers. We also had, uh, during the week, we had 81 different kids come through, and over 40 of them do not have a direct connection with Maranatha. Um, so we were, we were very, very thankful. We had great weather. And uh, we just had a great week. Um, our theme was surfing God's word. And each day we went through uh, the word of God, finding out that uh, God's word is our hope, it's our life, it's our truth, and a couple other things. Um, we did want to give you guys, for those who couldn't be with us, we wanted to give you a glimpse into um, what our vacation Bible school looks like. So we have a, a short video here that you can see uh, what we did during our week.
Well, last week we talked about in our study in Scripture, we were looking at the royal law of love and how important love is. Let me read this exceptional passage out of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. In fact, I'm going to read the last part of, the, of chapter 12. And now I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak with the tongue of men of angels and have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, can fathom all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all that I have to the poor and give my body to be burned for hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. As we're going through this part of James, we must stress this royal law of love. Love God, love others. It must be done in love. Amen? Amen. So, in congruence with what we were just talking about with the kids and just all that's going on, we're going to have a special song for all the kids in this room. If you are a kid of someone, raise your hand. Alright, that's, that's all of us, right? Good. So we're all going to be involved in this. So if everyone could stand up Pastor Aaron and some of the kids are going to come up and we're going to do a song. We're going to move a little bit just to remind us to get us ready for what we're going to be learning. Am I, there we go. Awesome. So this is one of the songs we sing uh, in our children's ministry. You guys, Rachel and Elijah can come on up and Grace can come on up. They're going to give me a hand. Um, one of the things that we stress is that all of our songs uh, come from Scripture, have a scriptural basis. We don't just sing for fun. We sing to praise our Savior. Amen. Uh, and that's what we're about to do with you. We're going to teach you one of our songs. Uh, it's called Must Be Done in Love. There are a couple motions that you probably did not think you would ever see in church. Um, every, every once in a while, I'm going to, okay, this is, this, is, uh, this is interactive, so I'm going to ask you to do the motions along with us. Can we do that? I said, can we do that? Thank you. All right, so there are, there are a couple of motions, and at the end of the course, we're going to all go, must be done in love, hey, so can you give me a must be done in love? Hey. Okay, let's try that again. Can you show them how, how to do it? Elijah, ready? Yep. All right, let's try it again. Must be done in love? Hey. All right. Can you hit it, Stacy?
very good job. You guys can go ahead and have a seat. Thank you to my volunteers. Thank you very much. Woo! As Aaron said, some of you didn't think you'd be doing those actions in church. You were jumping around. That was great. That was great. All right, we are in the book of James. If you grab your Bibles, if you don't have a Bible, we've got a Bible in front of you there. We're in the book of James. We're going through this series. James has a variety of topics that he talks about. So each of these topics that we're dealing with, we're looking at, is kind of like a different tape, cassette tape, with a variety of stuff that's on there. And the summary that I've got for the end of James chapter 1 in the 20s there, all the way into chapter 2, maybe going to chapter 3 here, is this. The Christian life, hearing and doing, being grounded in the Word and the character of God, requires believers to be doers of the Word and demonstrators of His character. And again, this is something we've talked about. In fact, take a look at chapter 1, verse 22. Do not merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. I love that. It's just plain and simple. Do what it says. When we read Scripture, we must do what it says. Pure religion flows from, from authentic faith. And Jesus controls what we say, what we do, and it must be done in love. Some of us live with this great fallacy that we control our lives. That's very dangerous. When we become Christians, when we give our lives to Him, when He's moving, when we become born again, we belong to Him and His Lordship. So we're looking at chapter 2, 1-13. through This is a, another section of practical display of living the Christian life. As we see that our conduct must be in right keeping of our faith. Our faith that we proclaim, we say we're Christians, our conduct, how we live that out, must be congruent with that. This section focuses on the problem of favoritism for the rich over the poor. We must not ignore the needy around us. So in this section, what James does is he gives us this warning in the first verse, and then he gives us an illustration and then what he's done, he's given then three reasons to support this warning and support what is taught both in Old and New Testament. And then for application, what we're doing is we're looking at the words of Jesus. So let's take a look at this first part here. James chapter 2, verse 1, the warning. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus, must not show favoritism. In the Christian life, we cannot have favoritism. In fact, I like how the NLT translation says it. My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord, Jesus Christ, if you favor some people over others? So here it is. We all face temptations. We all have a variety of temptations that we face. The temptations that I face may not be temptations for you. Things that I may struggle with for you, you may be like, that's not something I struggle with at all. And then ones that you are prone to, ones that you struggle with, may not be ones that I struggle with. Yet one temptation that we all can so easily fall into is favoritism. It's something that we're all prone to do. To view others better than other people. 
it's easier to favor some because they have more stuff. At face value, it seems apparently that they're better looking, have more money, have more success, and you're drawn to that. That's dangerous. Favoritism is subtle and ingrained in how we think. And it is a sin that must be refused. We must carefully watch our speech and make certain that our actions liberate people instead of beating them down. Our words and actions should help the poor not discriminate against them and put them in the back. Even though they're different than us. Then take a look at verse 2. He goes in this illustration here. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes. There were times here in the early church when visitors would come into the church and they would be like, oh, there's Mr. Fancy. Oh, there's someone prominent in our area. Please sit up front near the reading of the Scripture. And when poor people would come in, they would be like, you know what, how about you just stand back there? You look different. You're dressed different than us. How about you just kind of go back there so we don't have to see you so we can just focus on the beauty of what's going on here. So dangerous. And then there's reason. The first reason, it's foolish to do this. Why? We talked about this a few weeks ago. It is contrary to God's will for the poor. How can they prefer pagan rich people that only have the world compared to God's chosen poor people who have the riches of heaven. It's foolish because also these wealthy people at times are enemies of God's people. And I was thinking through this. Why do we get like this? One reason is we're not content. We're not content with what God has brought to us. So I wrote this down. Don't be so angry about what you don't have. Be joyful what the Lord has given you. And we see this in the Old and New Testament that often those who have a lot of supplies, those who have a lot of money, those who have deep pockets, those who are rich, it's harder for them to trust in the Lord. But those who are poor, those who have afflictions all around them, it's easier for them to trust in the Lord. Why? Because when their vehicle breaks down, in fact, I, I, I learned this often when I'm overseas visiting missionaries. We'll be overseas vis- visiting missionaries and the car will break down and you get out of the vehicle and the first thing they do, go, let's pray. And then a half hour later, alright, what should we do? For us, our car breaks down, get on the phone. Yeah, tow truck, I've got a credit card here. We, I've got AAA, I've got this figured out. Don't worry, I can do this. Don't be so angry about what you don't have. Be joyful in what the Lord has given you. We need to learn to be content. Second reason, the royal law of love. Verses 8-11, through that little section, take a look at your Bibles. This whole section here is the royal law of love. In fact, the first part says, if you keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. We must Do it in love. Discrimination against any person or any type of discrimination goes against God's law and endangers, it is, it endangers our faith. We now have the royal law of love. 
through our King, Messiah. We belong to the kingdom. It's a royal law. God's love for us produces in us a special love for one another. And if you claim to be a Christian, there must be love. So God's love in us produces in us a very special love for one another and those who are on the outside. There's no room for prejudice in this new spiritual life that we have in Christ. Loving means we care for the poor and for the rich. There's no greater society in our Christian group here. There's not like, oh, these are the special Christians and these are kind of the backsliders and they're, you know, they sit in the back all the time. No. We're all equal in God's eyes. We're His children. And we must care for both the poor and the rich. Failing to do so makes you a lawbreaker. Of all the laws, some are very big and serious in your mind, but favoritism can be like just a small rock. And if you try to break that law in your favoritism, when you break that, as we learned last week, you break them all. You're a lawbreaker and you're guilty. God's law demands we love others and help those who are hurting and unfortunate. And again, I've been stressing this every day. Wake up and go, how can I live a sermon today? Do you realize that the power of the love of God in our lives can totally transform this county? And I believe if five of you every day would say, God, I want to live a sermon for you. I want to live out this love. Huge things would happen. So now let's look at his last reason. Verses 12-13 through 13 here. His last reason is that favoritism is ser- a serious sin and results in God's judgment on them. So the third reason is being mindful of judgment. The first reason, don't do it. It's foolish. The second reason, we got this royal law. The third reason is we must be mindful of judgment. So here it is. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Here's our passage. The last reason in this section returns the emphasis on hearing and doing. Look at that, you know, speak and act. Hearing and doing. What we do is determined by what's in our hearts. In fact, it's interesting as we look at the last year and a half of COVID, the economic crisis that we've been through, the political stuff. We've really seen what's in the heart of some people, right? Before, they kind of had this mask on. Oh, I'm, I'm a loving person. But we've seen a lot of hatred in this time. Look at the first part there. Ch- chapter 2, verse 12. Speak and act. Here we have two specific commands. We're not to speak and act as we want. Again, I don't speak and act as I want. I belong to the royal master. To the kingdom. We are to surrender to His Lordship. And we must speak and act. What we hear as we study the Word, as we are in Him living out these divine principles in our lives, and it must be lived out in how we speak and how we act, these two commands. We are to have a lifestyle that aligns with the King and the Kingdom. 
Take a look at verse 12. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. So again, here's this third reason. Number one, it's foolish. Number two, we have the royal law of love. Number three, it's this. We must be mindful of judgment. It is essential that we speak and act on the basis of the realization that we will be judged by the way we treat others. How you treat others is how you will be treated someday. So let's look at these words. Take a look at that passage. There's law and also this term judgment. God's laws. God's laws have been given to liberate people, not a burden. Liberate people. Not only from sin, but God's law has been given not only to liberate us from sin, but also God's law has been given to help those being sinned against. His royal law of love is the mandate expected from His children. In this law of liberty, which you see in chapter 1, verse 25, I think it is, this law of liberty is what we have from Him. And it refers to the new covenant teaching of Jesus compared to the Old Testament. So take a look at this chart that we've got here. I think i got it on the screen here. So i got a difference between law and the law of liberty. Okay? Law and the law of liberty. Old Testament law, it's a burden because of sin. Again, I'm not saying that this side of the, this aspect is wrong or bad. It's righteous. But the Old Testament law was a burden because of our sins. But the law of liberty, the royal law of love that came from Christ, it's freedom. See the difference there? There's freedom. Law. Sin condemns us. Because of the law, we look in the mirror and we realize we are all guilty. We have now condemnation, but the law of liberty, for this aspect, disobedience brings judgment. We'll look at this in a moment here. The law is external, where the law of liberty is internal. The law, you're doomed. If you think you can be blameless, you're totally doomed. Where here, you're liberated by the work and the power of Christ. And now through the Spirit, we have freedom and we're liberated. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to kind of just take a look at that for a moment and next week we're going to talk about this more. As it's the 4th of July, as we talk about liberty and freedom, we'll deal with this chart a little bit more. When we show favoritism, we are turning against God's liberating laws and heaping judgment upon ourselves. The Greek states that we are about to be judged. So the statement here is we're about to be judged. Stressing this coming judgment. So let's look at verse 13 here. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. If you discriminate against someone, if you bring judgment against someone, guess what people? You will be judged. Hey, wait a second. I'm a Christian. I'm not going to be judged, right? I don't get God's judgment. I'm a Christian. Why would I get God's judgment? This is important because a lot of us think, you know what? I'm saved. I'm redeemed. Said that little sinner's prayer. And I can kind of live my life the way I want. God's judgment has been taken care of. Jesus took that punishment. Let's look at this. So again, here I've got a little chart here to show you the difference here on this. Judgment for the unbeliever and judgment for the believer. Guess what? Believers 
will also be judged. Okay, take a look at this. For the unbeliever, eternal destination, hell. Just so you know, there's a couple churches in our city that don't teach the realities of hell. They really don't believe it's real. They believe that when you die, you will just no longer exist because God's love is so great He would never do that. Scripture teaches there is a real hell. Judgment for the unbeliever. Eternal destination is hell. They're condemned because of their sins. But there's judgment for the believer. Their eternal destination is what? Not hell, but heaven. They're sinners, they were sinners, yet no condemnation. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Because of their justifying faith and standing in Christ. So, there's an aspect here. There's judgment for the unbeliever, their eternal destination, hell. For the believer, their eternal destination is heaven because of Christ. The next aspect. Judgment to determine status for the unbeliever. There's a time if you look both in Old and New, and when we look in the book of Revelation, there, there's judgment, and it will determine their status. For the believer, judgment isn't to determine status. Are you going to heaven or hell? Are you a child of God or are you not? Judgment for the believer is to determine reward. Judged according to their good or worthless deeds determining reward so in scripture we're going to read a passage here in a moment that as christians we will be judged not to determine our status not to determine that but instead to determine reward based upon what we've did if you've done some things that are good great if you've done worthless evil things guess what You'll be judged. But again, it's not based upon then then you're going to hell. We already have that eternal destination. So everyone take your Bibles and go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you didn't know this, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, 4, and 5. Oh, I love that section. Someday I'll just do a whole series just on that chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5. Just dripping with goodness. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. And this is talking to believers. Again, those who are not in Christ will have eternal damnation. There's a real hell. Those who are in Christ, their status now is not based upon what they've done, their goodness and all the good works. Their status is based upon the work of Christ. But there will be judgment for the believer to determine rewards. Listen to this. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. So we will get judgment. It's not going to be this eternal judgment determining our status. I'm a child of God. I belong to Him. But what you do on this earth, what you do in the body, whether good or bad, will be judged someday. Those who are in Christ will be accepted into God's presence because of 
His Christ perfect conformity to the law. We've broken the law. We are saved by grace and vindicated because of Christ. And our status is the child of God. But, as children, we will be judged according to what we have done to God and to others. We will be judged according to our conformity to the royal law of love. Have you loved God and love others? So again, James is saying, guess what? Don't show favoritism. It's foolish. It goes against the royal law of love. And guess what? Someday you'll be judged based upon that. We'll be judged according to this royal law of love on the basis of how we treated others. God is all-knowing. And don't think that you can do things that God doesn't know. He sees all things. This teaching again is both old and new. Listen to Romans chapter 14, verse 12. Each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Romans 14, verse 12. When we demonstrate this favoritism in our heart, when we discriminate against others, we are actually doing it against God. And He will return those actions upon us either with rewards or punishment of not getting rewards. Take a look at the last section here of this. I love this. Look at the last part of verse 13. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy. Mercy is actively showing love and reaching out to others. It is so fitting for the doing and demonstrating of God's character. Mercy is what we need to be doing and showing. We must be merciful because we're to be demonstrators of His character. Listen to this out of Zechariah. This is a great passage. Zechariah chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. Remember, again, this theme that James has. Be doers of the Word, demonstrators of His character. Listen to this. This is what the Lord Almighty said. Administer true justice. Show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor. Do not plot evil against each other. We've got to be demonstrators of His character. And God is the God of the fatherless. We read that a couple weeks ago. He cares for the alien, the foreigner. How do you treat those who are different? How do you treat the Somali population? Do we love? God is a God of mercy and compassion. He commands us to be likewise. Merciful actions are evidence of our relationship with Christ. So James is saying, guess what? If you don't show mercy, guess what? You will get judgment. If you refuse to show mercy, we may reveal, here's a bold statement here, we may reveal that we truly have never received mercy and it might be evidence that you are not a child of king if you don't show love and compassion if you're not doing these things then maybe it's evidence that you don't have true obedience in your heart you're not accomplish accomplishing it by what you do because you think oh i'm gonna just do a bunch of good things and that's it chapter 2 makes it clear that our obedience does not accomplish salvation it only shows evidence of our salvation. Because some of us think, 
well, I'll do a bunch of nice things just to prove that I'm a child of God. Obedience doesn't obtain salvation. Instead, obedience shows evidence that we belong to Him. By showing favoritism to the rich, the original audience was revealing that perhaps some of them were not saved. Mercy triumphed over judgment. So how do we fix the problem of favoritism? What's the best tool? Take a look at this picture here. Now, for some of you little kids, this is a cassette tape. Okay? This is how we listen to music. We didn't have a playlist that we did on the computer. We made our own playlist this way. But how many of you ever had a cassette tape like this that happened? Look at all the old people. I guess I'm old too, right? What is the best tool to fix that? See that in my pocket? Look at all you yelled pencil. You guys are sharp. Sharp as, okay, all right. This was the best tool to fix. How many ever used a pencil to fix their cassette? Right? Well, that's how you fixed it, right? This is how you fix a broken cassette tape. A pencil. Favoritism is wicked and wrong, evil. How do you fix favoritism? What's the best tool? Mercy. Mercy is the best tool to fix favoritism triumph means that we are using the means of mercy we must triumph over it we must use mercy to conquer our tendencies towards prejudice and find ways to show mercy to others our mercy towards the poor must be victorious over our tendency because we all have it the tendency to judge others who look different who dress different than us We must be a demonstration of God's mercy in our dealings with others, especially the unfortunate. Especially those who are marginalized. Those who are put aside. Those who are so different. Those who are broken. Those who are in wheelchairs. Those who are elderly. Who don't get much love. We must be agents of mercy. Mercy triumphs over favoritism. And judgment and all that we have. The best tool to combat favoritism is mercy. That's what this passage teaches. Now let's get to application, my favorite part here. Application. Let's go in your Bibles, get a couple passages. We're looking at the teachings of Jesus. Go to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, starting with verse 21. Matthew 18, 21. Again, the best way to understand how to live these things out in this past three Sundays, we're looking at the words of Jesus. Someday, if I have time, I'm going to go through all the teachings, all the parables of Jesus, and find what percentage deals with this topic. It's amazing how many times Jesus lets His disciples know you failed in this area. Let's the Pharisees know that you guys are, are jerks to people. You religious people wake up. Matthew 18, starting with verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? How many of you have siblings? 
(laughs) You know what he's talking about already, right? Up to seven times? I I can imagine Peter going, I'll forgive him, but up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king. Again, I love Jesus jumps in the parables here. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began settling, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold. When I read that, I was going, dude, that's a lot of money. Was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Listen to these words. Be patient with me, he begged. And I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when this servant, who just got freed from this bags of gold he had to pay, but when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell on his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my Heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. The words of Jesus. You must be someone. If you've received mercy, if you know what salvation is about, if you know the great love of God, as a recipient, you also must be one who displays it. Or as Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. All right, let's go to another passage. Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. Let's, let's just start with verse 32 here. Luke chapter 6, 32. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners... Love those who love them. Luke chapter 6, verse 33. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you're expecting repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good 
to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great. And you will be children of the Most High because his kind, He is kind to the ungrateful and to the wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. James is the brother of Jesus. Sat, listened to Jesus' teaching, and James is going, guess what, people? Just as Jesus taught, it'd be foolish for you to treat others differently. Because guess what? Judgment will come up, be coming upon you. Instead, what's the tool to fix favoritism and judgment? Mercy. So here, let me close asking the question and answering it. How to show mercy? How do we show mercy? Everyone, let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. You've heard me say this before. I'm, I'm not a tattoo guy, but if I would get a tattoo, <clears throat> I would tattoo this on my chest upside down so I could read it. Because the other way I couldn't read it. I'd have it upside down. Here it is. <clears throat> 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15 and 16. Oh, this is so good. In fact, in your Bibles, underline this, circle this. There's a pencil in front of you, that thing that fixed cassette tapes. Here it is. 1 Timothy chapter 1, starting with verse 15. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. It's trustworthy. And then he also backs up by saying it deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. How many of you can agree to that, right? He came to save sinners like you and I, of whom I am the worst. Verse 16. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, or the chief of sinners is one translation, Christ Jesus might display His unlimited patience as an example for those who believe in Him, and receive eternal life. I have been given such great mercy, but for that reason, Christ Jesus has this great salvation for me so that way, through my life and through my actions of showing mercy, people will realize, dude, that guy should be done with. God must be a God of patience and mercy. I need that same great salvation. Mercy is about giving people what they need, not what they deserve. Right? If you don't agree with that, then you don't understand salvation. If you think salvation is about what you deserve, you don't understand salvation. It's getting what I need, not what I deserve. God did not give us what we deserve. He gave us what we needed. Forgiveness and mercy found in Jesus Christ. And without Jesus Christ, we'll have eternal damnation. How to show mercy. The first thing, know Him as your Savior. Know the true mercy as spoken here in 1 Timothy 1, 15-16. Number two, here's some application. 
Look and love the ones who are overlooked. Look and love the ones who are overlooked. Failing to care for anyone, especially the poor, is wrong. What did Jesus do? He healed the sick. He reached out to the poor. He cared for those. He welcomed the stranger. He pardoned those who persecuted Him. Look and love the ones who are overlooked. Look for the strangers. The next one, help those who are hurting. Help those who are hurting. The great example we don't have time to read is the the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan. I encourage you this week, God truly may put someone in your path. God may place someone who is very different than you. They may have physical needs. They may have emotional needs. They may have financial needs. And they, on their own, cannot help themselves. But you, as an agent of God, can live out a sermon. You've received God's mercy. Will you extend mercy to them? God's mercy through you may change their life. Help those who are hurting. Live out a sermon this week. The next one. Be less irritated with others. Oh, this one gets under our skin, right? Be less irritated with others. Listen to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. It must be done in love. Maybe we need to sing that song every Sunday, right? It must be done in love. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Irritated. These offenses are what divides families, divides friends. It tarnishes our witness to non-Christians. It even divides churches because people in here get irritated and they don't care and love. This can erode relationships. Love one another. Then the last one here. Do good to the ones who hurt or offend you. Do good to those who hurt or offend you. When we are hurt by others, we often want to get back. Oh, I'm going to get them back. They did this against me and I've got this. Oh, I've got a list of stuff I can just unload on them to show how unworthy they are to be in my presence and how wrong they are. Slow to speak. You might even want to write them off. Ephesians chapter 4 states that we should be kind, merciful, forgiving others just as God forgave you in Christ Jesus. Those who are truly saved will show that same mercy to others. Who are the ones that have hurt you recently? Think about it. For some of you, you might go, just this past week, just this past month, Every time we get together with a family, events, oh, I don't want to go to the family reunion this summer because so-and-so is going to be there and they drive me nuts. Who are the ones who have hurt you recently? They need mercy the most. And you can be God's agent of mercy. Will you bless those who hurt you? Will you pray for them 
instead of brood and just get all angry and find ways to vindicate your rights. I'm the chief of sinners. But for that very reason, God showed His unlimited patience in me so that in me, others might turn to Christ. Those who hurt you, they may need mercy the most. And when you bless someone who hurts you, you are actually following the footsteps of Jesus. So here's my, my homework for you this week. Every day, think, how can I live out a sermon? But this week, I want you to think this. Who's the person that recently hurt me? Think about it this week. Some of you right away go, oh, I got this person, this person, this person, okay. Or maybe some of you are like, I don't know. Maybe it will take you a while. Think of the person that hurt you the most, and then ask God to use you as an agent of mercy to them. Well, that's going to be tough. Because you don't want to kick that can of worms and open it up. You don't want to set off that powder keg. We must be agents of mercy and grace and love. Because if you're not, judgment will come. But if you are, you'll get the rewards of a restored relationship. You'll get the rewards that will be given in heaven. My challenge, follow the footsteps of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I thank You for the teachings in Scripture. The teachings about judgment. Yes, Lord, there is going to be eternal punishment, judgment for those who do not have Christ as the center of their life. Who do not have Christ as their Savior. But Lord, help us who are Christians to not be smug and self-righteous and think we're better than them. Thinking we'll never get judgment. Yeah, judgment will come. Not to determine our status. For there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But we will get judged based upon what we have done in this life. And Lord, if I've been a bitter, cold, hard person, maybe that's showing I'm not a Christian at all. May this awaken us to realize I've been shown mercy. Help us do good to others and follow the footsteps of Christ. This we pray in Jesus' most beautiful name. Amen. Stand and join us in our last few songs. Praise the
lavished on us. His blood was the payment, his life was the cost. We stood.